Put your hands together unto Jesus. Amen. Kindly take your seat. Praise the Lord. Oh, praise the Lord. See, the weather is already some way. So let's put some fire in our hallelujahs. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. All right. I bring you greetings from the general superintendent elect of Assemblies of God Ghana and lead pastor of Cedar Mountain Chapel, Reverend Dr. Stephen Yanusum Wengam. I was with him this afternoon and when I told him I was coming, he asked that I extend his greetings to you. Amen. Also, I bring you greetings from our brother, Bernard Avle. I told him I was coming here, and he said, you are his people. So I should extend his greetings to you as well. Amen. We thank God for giving us the opportunity to be here once again and to fellowship together in the presence of the Lord. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your blessings. We thank you for the opportunity to receive from you. We ask that, Lord, you will minister life to us. May our lives be transformed by the power of your word. May we live here transformed in the name of Jesus. May we live here knowing what to do when it comes to the scripture. May your name be praised and your name be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so tonight I'm teaching on... Mastering the art of interpreting the Bible. Wow, it's loaded. Tell the person sitting by you, it is loaded. Tell another person, it is loaded. All right, so when I came, I saw that the whole place was dark. So I was asking um, Vice P that, <laughs> how are you guys going to write? Because the topic I've been given. It demands that you write. But he says you came with your tablet and your phones. So we are hoping that you go home with something. Amen. All right. So, mastering the art of interpreting the Bible. To interpret means to give meaning to something. It means to give meaning to something. And I want to begin on this note. Um, there's a church father called John Calvin. And John Calvin said that it is the first business of an interpreter to let the author say what he does say instead of attributing to him what we think he ought to say. Let me say this again. It is the first business of an interpreter to let the author say what he does say instead of attributing to him what we think he ought to say. So what does this mean? This means that when you read the Bible, you must allow the Bible say what it is saying and not you telling the Bible what it should say. So if you are interpreting the Bible, what you are doing is that you are allowing the Bible to say what it says. For instance, if I'm standing here and I'm speaking in English and then I have somebody who is supposed to interpret what I am saying from English into Akan. And I say, I was walking by the roadside and I saw an eel. And the eel crossed the road and I knocked it. And the interpreter says that, 
Has the person interpreted what I am saying right? The person is trying to tell me what I've not said. But you see, that's what happens a lot of times when we are reading the Bible. And unfortunately, in our Christian fraternity today, people are not allowing the Bible to say what it should say. They want to tell the Bible what it should say. And this evening, I'm going to share with you, this is not something that we can do within 30 or 45 minutes. But by the grace of God, I'll try my best to lay a foundation, to stir up something in your spirit that will cause you to go and study more. We are in the university, so the reason we are here is to learn, is to research. So I'll lay the foundation so that you you learn more about how to interpret the Bible. Is that a good thing? So the first thing about interpreting the Bible is that you need to understand that scripture is by inspiration. Scripture is by inspiration. When you take the Bible, the the first foundation is that you need to accept that the Bible is inspired by God. Which means that they contain the very breath or words of God himself. The Bible is the word of God himself. God himself inspired the Bible. Praise the Lord. In our world today, there are different kinds of teachings, heresies coming around, trying to set aside the Bible and do what we want to do. But as believers, we must understand that when we take the Bible, it is the word of God. It is God speaking to us. It is God himself speaking to you and I. So the Bible you are holding is, is no child's play. It is God who has spoken to you. Scripture tells us in, in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3 from the verse 16 through to the verse 17. It says all scripture. Say after me all scripture. Say after me all scripture. All scripture is inspired by God. So, all scripture, everything you see in the Bible is inspired God. Hallelujah. Not some. It means the Old Testament is inspired by God. The New Testament is inspired by God. There was a time in the church age where there were some people who said the God of the Old Testament cannot be the same God of the New because the God of the Old Testament kills people. The God of the New Testament loves people. And so we cannot believe in the Old Testament. No. If you understand properly what the Bible means, and you will not say that the God of the Old Testament is different from the God of the New Testament. Every scripture, all, say after me, all. The last time I checked the meaning of the word all, it meant all. It didn't change. It hasn't changed and it will not change. All scripture inspired. The word inspired means it is God breath. It is God breath. And profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man may be adequate, equipped for every good way. So the scripture is to correct us, is to teach us, is to reprove us, is to train us so that we will be equipped for every good work. So for every good work you want to do, the scripture plays a role. Can I hear an amen? amen. And it is inspired. So the Bible is inspired by God. Second Peter chapter 1 verse 20. To 21. It says, but to know this first of all. Know this first of all. If there's anything you should know first, it is that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act 
of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Hallelujah. So the Bible tells us that the scripture that we have today, it did not come by human will. It came as holy men were moved by the Holy Spirit who spoke from God. Amen. So that's the first foundation. And no wonder Jesus will say that in Matthew chapter 5 verse 18. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not a smallest letter, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass away for, from the law until all is accomplished. The scripture we have is from God. Praise the Lord. So when people see me and they go like, man of God, what is God saying? What is God saying? I remember those days when we were on campus. You know, you go for prayer meeting and God drops something in your spirit and you, you prophesy small, small. You are going around. Hey, then people come. Man of God, what is God saying? You know, what is God saying? They are, they are trying to tell you that. Shemin, come. You understand what I'm saying? Give me a word. But give me a word. You have the word. Tell the person sitting by you already have a word. Say you already have the word. That, that, that is the foundation. That the Bible is the word of God. As long as you have the word of God. You don't need anybody to come and tell. Yeah, sure. I see in the spirit. You know, The spirit, the spirit. That's what we like. But God has spoken to us. And this is his word. Amen. The second point is that. So the first point is that. Scripture. Is by inspiration. The second point is that the scripture is clear. The scripture is clear. What do I mean? It means that the scripture is written in such a way that anybody can read and understand. The Bible is written in a way that anybody as long as you can read, you can read it and you will understand it. And that's why tonight is very important. Because I'm going to teach you a few things that will help you. So when you take the Bible, you read it and you can, the scripture is clear. You know, some of us, we have been told that some deep meaning today, I want to demolish all those things in your mind. Can I hear an amen? It's like there's some deep something and some people stand in, in, in some high place where they understand what, what the Bible says. The Bible is clear. The Bible is clear. You can read it. Oh, tell the person you can read it and you will understand it. Amen. Yeah. 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 In Psalm 119 verse 130 it says the unfolding of your words give light. It gives understanding to the simple. The word of God gives light and it gives understanding to the simple, not to the high. To the simple. To the simple. To the very simple. To the very person who is humble in their heart to come before the Lord. Who takes the law of God. God gives that person understanding. So in the old covenant, God says that forgive, right? As others forgive you. That's the principle. First, an eye for an eye. A tooth for a tooth. So if you pluck my eye, I pluck your eye. That was the law. According to Moses. True or false? Good. And then Jesus comes and says, As Now, Jesus comes again and says that, forgive as I have forgiven you. So it's no longer because you want somebody to forgive you. It's because you understand that Christ has forgiven you. So you forgive. Please you understand what I'm saying. Do you get it? So it is progressive. So when you take a topic, you need to understand how God has progressed over the period. For instance, some people say the children of Israel, Israel is special. They are special. They are special. Yes, they are special. But the speciality of Israel is gone. Because 
Christ has introduced the new, progressive. In First Peter, he tells us, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a special people, God's own special people. You see, so now it's not Israel being special. It's the people who believe in Christ Jesus who have now become special. Do you get it? So it is progressive. And so when you are interpreting the Bible, when you are reading the Bible, you need to understand that God's revelation is progressive. So you don't take one thing and then you conclude. No, you need to understand it in a holistic context. I'm just laying the foundation. Are you following? All right. So we said that number one, what? Revelation, scripture is what? By inspiration. Number two, scripture is clear. Number three, it's progressive, right? All right. Here's where we get into the meat of the whole thing. Number what? Four. All right. Number four. There is one meaning of scripture. For every scripture, there is one meaning. For every scripture you read, there is one meaning. What that means is that the original intention of the author is one. But how you apply it may be different. The original meaning. So, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The meaning is one. God loves the world. Jesus came because God loved the world. True or false? That's the meaning. But how you apply it may be different. Praise the Lord. So, for instance, when we say the meaning of scripture is one, but the application can be many. Here's what it means. David took five stones when he was going to fight Goliath. True or false? The meaning is that David took five stones. Don't come and tell us that the meaning is that one stone represents righteousness. One stone, the second stone represents faith. Another stone represents love. Another stone, no. The meaning is that David took five stones. That's the meaning, period. Don't come and tell us that one stone, this is, this is that. Please, you understand? You understand what I'm saying? We are talking about interpretation. Interpretation means meaning. What it stands for. When the author was writing in First Samuel about the story of David and Goliath, he did not tell us that the first stone represents love. He did not tell us that the second stone represents something. He said David took five stones, and five stones it is, period. Can I hear an amen? amen. Don't come and tell us that there is a deeper meaning. That there is a mystery. Five stones represent the things that you can use to fight your enemy. There was no, there was nothing about something you can use to fight any enemy. The, the story is that David faced Goliath and he took five stones and he threw one and one hit the guy and he fell. That is what it means. Praise the Lord. Don't come and tell us that when the children of Israel face the Amalekites, the Amalekites are the giants in your life. No, that's not what it means. We beg you. We beg you. Praise the Lord. So, what does, what, how can we apply the story of David and Goliath in our lives. David and Goliath was a story of trust in God. So that's how I apply it. The meaning is that he took a stone. Everybody was afraid. David came. He faced him believing 
that the God who saved me from the lion and the bear, that same God will bring this uncircumcised Philistine down. So David faced Goliath, trusting God that it was God who was going to bring Goliath down. So how do you apply it in your life? When you face struggles or you are going through some problems, some mighty things that look overwhelming to you, trust God. So that's, a, that's, that's applying it to your life. Please, you understand. But the meaning is not that five something. We, we like those things, you know. When I began, I quoted John Calvin, who says the, our business is to let the Bible say what it wants to say, not we telling the Bible what it should say. Praise the Lord. And we see it a lot. Uh, thank God. When we go for Bible studies, for instance, we read the scripture and we say, what does it mean to you? So what does it mean to you? What is the Bible saying? Because what it means to you, dear Charlie, you can't, you could be baby cry. Praise the Lord. Please, you understand what I'm saying? Okay. The next point is that when you are interpreting the Bible, you need to understand that the Bible that came to us was taken from a certain language. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The New Testament was written in Greek. So in interpreting the Bible to take into consideration the original translation of the Bible, which is Greek and Hebrew. Old Testament, Hebrew, New Testament, Greek. And I'll show you an example of why this is very, very important. Praise the Lord. So, there are our English word, English is limited. Our English is limited. So, there are some words that in the Bible, in English, we use a certain generic language for it. For instance, when Jesus met Peter, and he says, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, I love you. Jesus said to him, Peter, do you agape me? Peter says, I feel you, you. You see, but if you read it in English, do you love me? He said, yes, I love you. The word in English, love is love. Brotherly love is love. The love, this one, this one, it's also love, right? Oh, the one that you have for the girl that, you know, instead of having an A, you are now C, C. Because you have wasted time calling in the night. Instead of reading, am I preaching to somebody? Yeah. The, the, the one that will make you walk from Pentagon to Liman. When we say come and do evangelism in Liman, you say, oh, Pentagon, oh, ah, I can do it in Pentagon. It's okay. Oh, 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 Legon Hall. I can do Legon Hall. But come to Lima, you say, it's far. But the love that will make you move from, you said TF, to Lima, Nelson, when it falls on you, there is no distance. It's the same love. It's the same word in English. Praise the Lord. Arrows. It's the same. Feel you. Brotherly love is the same. So, English is limiting, you see. But to understand what Jesus meant, you need to have a certain working knowledge of the Greek and the Hebrew. It doesn't mean that you have to become a Greek scholar or a Hebrew Today, everything is available. There are Greek, there's Greek concordance. There's Hebrew concordance. There's Strong's. Strong concordance. So, if you want to interpret the Bible, if you want to know the meaning, sometimes you need to go there. And let me show you a scripture in Philippians. It will surprise you. Philippians 4.17. A lot of people use that scripture. Philippians chapter 4, verse 17. 
Philippians 4.17. He says, not because I desire a gift, but I desire that may, I desire fruit that may abound to your account. For I have all and I abound. I am full. Having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor, a sweet smell, a sacrifice, acceptable, well-pleasing to God. Now, not that I desire a gift. I desire a fruit that may abound to your account. And people quote this scripture and they say that you have a heavenly account. Have you heard that? Have you heard it before? Oh, have you heard it before? And so they say, give. When you give, there is a heavenly account for you where the blessings of God will abound towards you. Amen. So that you will not say that I'm telling you stories. Please, President, come and read the meaning of the account for us. So, Philippians 4, 17, right? So, we are going to look for the meaning of the word account, right? Okay. So, read for us. What does account mean? From something said, okay. the thought, okay. by, by implication, a topic. Also, reasoning or motive, by extension, a computation. Okay. Specifically, the divine expression, that is Christ. Okay. So, Let's look at this one. Number one, of speech. Okay. A word uttered, uttered by a living voice embodies a conception or idea. Okay, number B, two. what someone has said, a word, the saints of God, decree, mandate, or order. Okay, thank you. That's the meaning of the account there. That's what she just read. Something somebody has said. It's like you go to court. And they say, we want to hear your account. We are saying that we want to hear your, your version. Your version, your word. That's your account. What is the account of your story? What is the account? Can you give us an account? Something happens and they say, can you give us an account? So what is he saying? He said that you have told me something that you will support my ministry. And so not that I desire a gift, but I desire a fruit. A result that will abound to what you have said. Please, do you understand? Do you understand? So it's not heavily account. It's not heavily account. It's not heavily account. It's not heavily account. There's no accounting heaven. It's not heavily account. That's not what he was saying. So you can't let the Bible say something. It's not saying. Don't go there. Praise the Lord. So you see why? Checking what the Bible is saying, the words, you see. So, because English is limited, and the Bible has a lot of expressions. So, when you read, I, I'm not a Greek or Hebrew scholar. There are people who are Greek. Please, today they are who worth your time. Forget, I have to teach you. There is no, there is no, there is no, you go and watch movies when you live here. Some of you are waiting. Your girlfriend is here. You are waiting for her. The reason you came is because you know she will be here. Yeah, so you wait. Praise the Lord. Permit me for today. Just today. You know I'm always on time. Today, dear, permit me. Is there, is, is, is there a unanimous yes? All right. So, to your account, to your word, to your promise, I just want that what you have said, there will be results. Not that I seek a gift. But I won't resort for your account. So that's why understanding the original language will help you interpret the Bible properly. And you don't have to be a scholar. All you need is Greek, Hebrew. It's, it's, it's not expensive. You can download it. There are materials you can download. They are online. So that when you are reading the Bible, you check the meaning. What is it saying? So that you can do proper interpretation. So that you come and tell us that there's heavenly account for us. If there is, if there is, you can use this scripture. Maybe go and find the scripture that says that we have heavenly account. Praise the Lord. 
Oh, are you here with me? All right. So I've told you that there is the need for consideration of the language. Now, the next point is that interpreting the scripture to understand the meaning of a scripture, you have to understand the context. Tell the person sitting by you, context. What it means is that a text of scripture given its true meaning when it is considered in relationship to the words around it. So, you can't interpret scripture or find the meaning of a scripture by setting aside every other thing happening around it. Everything has to be in context. Praise the Lord. Have you heard people say, you are taking me out of context before? When somebody takes you out of context, maybe you've said something, somebody just picked something you said. I said, no, that's not what I said. Say what I said in full. You see, say what I said in full. So, let's look at it. Philippians chapter 4 verse 13. <laughs> I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yeah. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Shout yeah. You can buy the strengthens me. It's one of the scriptures we take out of context. But it's not saying all things as in everything. And I will come and say, all things. I can do all things. What was he saying? Let's start from verse 8. So context means that you have to take into consideration everything around. So that you can have a proper meaning. Praise the Lord. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good thought, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which you both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be few. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last your care of me has flourished. Even wherein you were also careful, but you lacked the opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want. Are you following? For I have learned in whatsoever state that I am in, therewith to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I am instructed, both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound. And to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What is he talking about? If you take it in context, what is he? He's saying that if I am suffering, I can handle it. If I have more, I can handle it. So whether I suffer or I have more, I can handle it. Why? Because Christ strengthens me. Is he talking about your car? Is he talking about your first class? Please, you understand? So, you think Paul is saying, you see, the Philippian church were one of the churches that supported him. But they were, they were a church that didn't have a lot of money. Yet, they supported him. So, because they supported him, he prayed this prayer for them. My God shall supply all your needs. 
So we take that scripture too. We say, my God shall supply. But when you read it in context, you say that because you gave to me, my God shall supply. All your, you, you don't give, but you say, my God shall supply. My God shall supply. So we confess this and we don't see it happen. I think the Bible is not true because we take it out of context. It says, you guys are supporting me, but whether I am suffering and the support does come or I have more, I know how to live because I can do all here is talking about suffering and more through Christ. I can handle both suffering and abundance through Christ. Who strengthens me? That's all. Praise the Lord. Let me give you another example. Matthew chapter 18, verse Matthew 18. Hmm. Say after me, context. Matthew 18, verse 19. Matthew 18. Let's look at verse 19. But you know, before we go to verse 19, let's read it in context. Let's start from verse 15. Matthew 18, verse 15. Moreover, if your brother shall trespass against Go and tell him his fault between and him alone. If he hear you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear you, then take with you one or two more that in the mouth of two, of two or, or three witnesses, every word may be established. If he shall neglect to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, then let him be to you a heathen man and a publican. Verily, I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say unto you, that if two of you shall agree on earth, touching anything that you may ask, it shall be done for them of my father, in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. What is he saying in context? Whatever you bound on earth shall be bound in heaven. Is he talking about demons? If two or three shall agree as touching a thing, it shall be established. Is he talking about your promised marriage? Oh, talk to me. Talk to me. I'm preaching to you. Talk to me. You see how we take scripture out of context? What is he talking about? He's saying that if your brother offends you, go to him alone. If he disagrees, call two or three people. Go. If he disagrees, bring it to the elders of the church. If he disagrees, treat him as an unbeliever. Treat him as an unbeliever. And when you treat him as an unbeliever, whatever you agree, the two or three shall agree on the matter of the fact that you have reached him, he has refused. You have sent other people, he has refused. You have brought the church, he has refused. On that matter, whatever you agree on earth shall be, bind means to agree. When we go into the meaning of the word bind in the Greek, it means agree. Whatever, whatsoever you shall agree shall be agreed in heaven. So when you agree that this brother is an unbeliever, it is agreed in heaven. When you disagree, it is also whatever you agree, God has given you that permission. And then we take this out of context. Bind, abide, 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 abide. Praise the Lord. Are you understanding? That, that, we are, uh, 
mastering the art of interpreting scripture, allowing the scripture to give us its meaning. When we do what we are doing today, we are rather putting our meaning into the scripture. It's called eisegesis. It means that you are telling the scripture what it is not saying. Praise the Lord. Final one on context. Revelation chapter 3 verse 20. See the popular ones. The popular ones. It's after me, popular ones. Yes. Revelation chapter 3 verse 20. I didn't add this one, but I, I feel I should let us read it. There's one in Job. Commanding your morning. Another one we have taken out of context. If you invite me to teach you how to interpret scripture, I have to teach you. Praise the Lord. All right. Should I continue? <laughs> context. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write. So, he's writing to seven churches. And this one is specific to the church in Laodicea. And he says, this thing saith the amen, the faithful, and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold. I would that you were hot or cold. So then, because you are lukewarm, you are neither hot nor cold. I will spew you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich and increase with goods and have need of nothing and knows not that your heart is wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy gold tried in fire that you may be rich and white raiment, that you be clothed and that the shame of your nakedness do not appear. And anoint your eyes with eyes salve that you will see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous therefore and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and dine with him. And he with me. Him that overcometh, will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcome, sat down with my father in my father's throne. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Praise the Lord. When you read it in context, the scripture we use for people. That the Lord is standing at the door. And he's knocking at your door. Open. He wants to come. He wants to come. Lord wants to come. <laughs> he wants to come. Give your heart to Jesus. Tell him Lord wants to come. Standing at the door. And we think it's for unbelievers. He was writing to the church. He said that he wants people who are either hot or cold. He doesn't like lukewarm people. He doesn't like motro mocho. He wants you to decide whether you are following him or not. And so he's always standing at the door to tell you that I am there. Be hot. He's talking to you, the believer. Not the unbeliever. Every day of your life, the Lord wants you to decide whether you are hot or you are cold. So you that today, you are serious when you are going for missions. You are serious. When we come to campus, we say, carry tests. It's for some people. Do this. It's for like, we don't know where you belong. Today, you are into, like, one step. You are, he's telling you. Allow me to take charge of your life. And then you 
take this scripture. I think that is for somebody who needs Jesus Christ. It's you who needs this scripture. Hello. Should I do the Job one? Are you sure? Okay. To shock you. To shock you. Job 38. Job 38. So I'm teaching you context. Context. It will save you from a lot of trouble. Job 38. That scripture is in verse 12. But let's start from verse 1, where God begins speaking. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Job was going all over the place, challenging God. Then God comes and God responds. Who is this who darkens counsel? By words and without knowledge. So God is speaking to Job. Who is this? Who darkens without knowledge? Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you. And you tell me. Somebody can, can get you angry. And you say, you will answer me today. So God is telling Job, today be today. You will answer me. And I'm going to ask you questions. And God begins. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurement? Who determined the measurement of the earth? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? To what, to what were its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Or who sat in the sea with those when it burst forth and issued from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band. When I fixed my limit for it and set bars and doors. When I said, this far you may come, but not farther. And here, your proud waves must stop. Do you understand what God is saying? What is he saying? I said the world. I said everything. I said the sea. This is how far you can go. This is, God is saying, I created the world. Then he comes to the verse 12. That it might take hold of the ends of the earth. And the wicked be shaken out of it. Sorry, I jumped. Verse 10, when I fixed my limit for it and set the bars and doors, when I said, this far you may come, but no further, and here you may stop, and here your proud waves must stop, have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place? Who is, what is God talking about? He's talking about himself. He's asking Job, you, have you, were you the one who created the world? Were you the one who said, See, were you the one who said, this is your plan? Were you the one who commands the morning? And then we get up, we are commanding the morning. You say, you are going to command your morning. Who are you? So, God is asking Job, who are you? Have you commanded the morning before? It's God who commands the morning. God is telling you. So, so what do we do with a scripture like this? We use it to glorify God. You go before God and you say, Lord, thank you for the morning. For you are the one who has commanded this morning. And I thank you that by your command, the dawn has appeared unto me and I see its glory. That's what the psalmist does. So we take this and we glorify God. We don't attribute it to ourselves that you wake up in. I command my morning. Who are you? Scriptures out of context and we make it faith. And we get excited. You see, we make the Bible say what it is not saying. Let the Bible say what it is saying. Hallelujah. Amen. Context. 
The next thing is that you need to understand historical background. You must have a historical appreciation of the Bible. The Bible was written over a certain period of time. Understanding the history makes you understand some of the customs, some of the traditions. Let me give you an example. So Jesus, with his disciples, go to a house. And immediately, just takes the bowl and begins to wash the feet of his disciples. And the Bible tells us that he was teaching them how to serve. Now, we get up. Feet washing is a spiritual implication when your feet is not washed. So, this Sunday, we are going to have a feet washing anointing service. And we say, Jesus was the feet of his disciples. You don't understand history, context, culture. So, when you understand the history of the Bible, the Bible times, you will know that in Jewish tradition, it's even in the Bible, in Jewish traditions, when you entered a house, the least person, which is usually the servant, because you, they had to journey, they used to walk. If you were rich, you have a donkey. If you didn't have a donkey, you would leg a benz. You would walk. And they walk distances. And by the time they got to where they were going, their feet were dirty. So, and it, the Israel, Palestine is a desert area. So that's why prophecies are usually about wilderness and the desert. Wilderness and the desert. Wilderness. It's all part of the context, history. So when they get to a place, the servant in the house, who is the least, will wash the feet of the visitor. If the servant is not available, the children will wash the feet. The children are not available. The woman in the house will wash their feet. If the woman is not available, the person receiving the guest will not wash their feet. So when they came in, Jesus reduced himself as a servant. Washing their feet means that even though he was the leader, even though he was the boss, he had brought himself low to wash feet of his people. So he's teaching them that no matter who you are, if you are the leader, you must say. You must not be a boss. There is, it is not anything spiritual. Please, you understand. But if you don't, let me give you another shock. And Elisha said, I want a double portion. And we say there is a double portion of anointing. And Elijah said to him, when you see the clock fall and the chariots carry me away, then you and we say double portion of anointing. And then we will read the Bible and we will say, Elijah did eight miracles. Elijah did 16. Elijah opened one blind eye. Elisha opened two. You see, the Elijah died. Nobody came to life. Elisha, when they put the dead, the dead body came back to life. Double portion! <laughs> 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 Meanwhile, Jewish tradition is in, it's in either Deuteronomy or Leviticus. It's dead. When you need to understand that the prophets, it's all, it's all history, tradition. The prophets had what we call the school of prophets. So they had a lot of sons following them. So when the prophet dies, there must come a leader. Now, in Jewish tradition, when a father dies, the person, when they are sharing, distributing the inheritance, 
the first son receives a double. So when they are sharing the inheritance, maybe he had ten cows, he had four sons. The first son will be given two. Everybody will get one, one. What, which, if it is one and a half, one and a half, the other one, the first son will get three because one and a half plus one and a half is three, right? Good. So double, double. The first son always gets double. Double. So Elijah was telling Elisha. When Elijah, when Elijah told Elijah that I want a double, what he's saying is that I want to be among the sons of the prophet. I want to be the leader. Do you understand? Do you understand? Because when a father dies, the first son, anybody who takes the double becomes the first and the leader of the house. So, Elisha was telling Elijah that I want to become the leader of the sons of the prophet. So, I want a double portion of your inheritance. That's all. Do you understand? So, he was saying that when you go away, I want to lead the prophets. So, I want a double of your inheritance. It wasn't anointing. Read the scripture, go back again, read it. There was no mention of anointing. But we make the Bible say, so you come and you say, I tap, I tap, you tap, and you tap, you tap, you tap, and you won't get. Let the Bible speak for itself. It's like you are reading a newspaper. Nana. Ado has appointed Kenoforiata as Minister of Finance. Period. Don't come and tell us that. Kenoforiata is some something, something for which reason. No, Nanado has appointed him. Period. Praise the Lord. In studying the Bible to interpret properly, you must into consideration grammar. There are grammatical implications to studying of scripture. A verb can change what something means. It could be an adjective. Praise the Lord. It could be a pronoun. It could be a conjunction. So, so when you see therefore, when Paul is writing, he says, therefore, we know no man after the flesh. Go and read. When, I, when, we are, when we are solving mathematical equations, we write, uh, find X. X is there, but we say find it. So you find, you find, you find. You enter the lungu lungu. You dig the ground. Then you find. Then when you find X, you say, therefore, X equals 2. You know why they don't just mark X equals 2? Because you can stretch and see. X equals 2. Then you give you 100%. No, 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 no. So they mark their steps. To be sure that this is saying that therefore. It means that when there is therefore, you cannot just conclude. You must read what is before. Because it's coming to tell you something. And it is a lot in the New Testament. And we don't take these things into consideration. Praise the Lord. Could be a preposition. All these things are important so that the meaning comes with. Oh, I said praise the Lord. Let me end here. Now you need to understand finally. The Bible has different genres. There's poetry. There are wise sayings. There's history and prophecy. 
There's teaching and doctrine. Like when you take the writings of Paul, they are called epistles, teachings, doctrines. How we will live our lives. When you take the psalm, psalm is full of poetry. So you don't take everything there literal. Do you understand what I'm saying? When he says, the Lord is my shepherd. You know how poets talk? He's talking about a road, but he would describe it in a certain way. So he said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me life in grief. That the Lord, that Psalm 23, if you don't understand the, the, the culture of shepherd, like, like he said, thou anoint my head with oil and my cup right over. Surely good. Then we say, you anointed, then carry anointed oil. You anoint my head with oil. Anoint my head with oil. The shepherd anoints the head of the sheep with oil when it is injured. So the anointing with oil is for healing. So he said, thou anoint my head. He's talking about the sheep and the shepherd relationship. You understand? Thou anoint my head with oil. So he's saying that when I am head, when I am broken, you bring healing in my life. So when Maybe you are heartbroken. Maybe you are in pain. Maybe something has happened. You are hurt. You are in pain. You can quote that scripture and say, Lord, you are the one who anoints my head with oil. You can say that with the understanding that God is the one who heals. Not thou anoint. Holy Ghost. May the Lord help us. So when you take the psalmist, he's a poet. It's the psalmist, all the psalms are Poetry unto God. So don't take everything literal. The hand of the Lord, the eyes of the Lord. All these, they are not literal. They are expressions. So he, he says, When I run, you are there. When I go here, you are there. When I go under the sea, you are there. He's talking about the omnipresence. God is everywhere. But he gets dramatic with his expressions. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? Revelations. There's eschatology. So all these things come into giving proper meaning to the Bible. Praise the Lord. Please, you understand what I'm saying? So don't just take the Bible. I've given you some keys. At least, if you don't go, if you, have not, if you are not going home with anything, go home with context. It will, it will cure you a lot of mischief and, you know, Go home with the fact that the Bible, you, you, you can understand it. You can sit down, read the Bible. Understand, because you are endowed with the Spirit of God. Praise the Lord. So when you take the Bible, and don't read Bible, just verse. Especially the epistles. When Paul is writing, you start one argument in chapter 1. And in chapter 8, he's responding. So when you don't read chapters... Somebody's looking at hey, but you go on Facebook, you read plenty things. You know, you know all the players of Manchester United. You know the coach. You know Chelsea. You know the player. Read the Bible. Praise the Lord. So, when we are interpreting the Bible, we need to sit down well, take it, read. That's why it says, study for yourself. Approved. A wet man who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, is diligence. The word steady there means be diligent. Work hard. So reading the Bible is hard work. And we must put our effort into it. You are students. If you quote something in the exam hall out of context, you know that you are going to fail. So please, let the Bible speak for itself. And don't speak for it. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Let's pray. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for this opportunity. To and to correct ourselves. Lord, forgive us. For the days that we have added. And for the days that we have subtracted. For the days that we have said the things that you did not say. That we have ignored the things that you have said. Lord, empower us by your grace. 
Spirit. You said when the Holy Spirit comes, he will guide us into all truth. Holy Spirit, we avail ourselves that you will guide us, teach us, show us. And Lord, may we be humble. You give grace to the humble, but you resist the proud. Lord, we ask for grace in all humility to understand and to make meaning of your word. We pray that, Lord, as we leave here, we will not struggle reading the Bible, but we will have meaning of your word. Give us grace to escape wrong doctrines, wrong teachings, wrong ideologies, that we shall be good students of your word. We give you praise. We give you glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.